a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a rock. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, this is going to be part two of Dr. Ian Rubenstein and I's discussion. Uh, This one, though, goes a lot more into the medical field in general, just the practice of medicine, the ideologies of healing. Uh, We really go deep down some more of the logistical type of a conversation about the medical industry, uh, germ theory versus uh, terrain theory. We talk a lot about vaccinations. We talk a lot about just mental states of health uh, and how that can affect you. Placebo effect, but placebo effect on a large collective conscious um, and how that's possibly engineered. I mean, we, we go down some really, really interesting rabbit holes on this one, guys. That's why I had Dr. Ian Rubenstein back on. He is a wonderful talk to. We go really, really deep on this discussion. So without any further ado, Part two of Dr. Ian Rubenstein. All right, everybody, welcome to part two of Dr. Ian Rubenstein and I sitting down talking about the real stuff. Now, I had you back on because your last episode, which was the one before this, I'm going to release him back to back. Uh, was talking to us about your story and about everything that you've experienced and you've set us up a wonderful foundation and a foundation that theme is something that I do want to talk about on this episode. So I had you back because I had way too many questions to cram into one episode. So I think that now that we've gotten that established, uh, we can just jump right into it. So let's talk about the fantastic marrying between the science and the esoteric that you experience you you like I said on the last episode are walking between two worlds so what is that like you've got like your own little version of hemisync going on over here where both sides of your brain are communicating and clicking on all cylinders what is that like is there any kind of conflict in there with the ideologies or have you found a way to balance and bridge the two I have found a way to balance it now but at first it was really really difficult really difficult um and i I remember i'd spent nine years first of all i i i too have worshipped at the altar of science you know i grew up in the 60s uh lived through the apollo program in this country called the white heat of technology you know i'm into science i was an early adopter of computers but at the same time i I mean you know i keep you know I, i keep a broad mind um, and uh, when this all kicked off, I had spent nine years writing the software that was going to make me a fortune, but never did. Remember that one? Yes, my, yes. My, my, my rostering, my scheduling system, which was bloody good for doctors, but never came to fruition. So, and it seemed to me that I'd, I'd looked up from my computer screen, because when you're programming, time just goes into overdrive. And the world had changed behind me. The world had gone bonkers. You know, the normal solid world had just gone absolutely batshit crazy you know i was hearing voices um coming across strange coincidences getting readings in police stations from people i'd never met before um and finally ending up sitting in a psychic development circle thinking 
what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> so, and, and that and that that was the age of forty seven. So yeah, it like it was like my entire solid world had just gone absolutely crazy. But it was allies. That was a sense of tremendous fun. Like really, you know, life had suddenly become a lot more interesting. But whilst I'd always been, I mean, I used to read fourteen times for many years. So I've always kept my my. I've always been interested in this stuff. Actually, mainly UFOs more than mediumship and stuff. I mean, I, I still am fascinated by UFOs or UAPs, as we're meant to call it now. Do and you, there's been some... Sorry. Oh, no, uh, yes, I know. The UAP thing is is hilarious because um, it's the same damn thing, right? It's just uh, yeah, they change yeah, the name yeah. of it. That's it. And there's yeah. a couple of reasons for that. I, well, one of the ideas I've heard for that reason is because when FOIA came out and you could start requesting that um, f- specific keyword searches on government-reviewed documents, UFO doesn't pop up if you search UFO because they started calling them UAPs a long time ago to kind of thwart the efforts of people looking into it. But now that we know that, of course, it's it's all moot. So uh, are you ever standing there in front of, you know, your prescription pad and you're in front of a, a patient and they've, you know, explained everything to you, your Western uh, medicine training kicks in and says, all right, they need amoxicillin. And then a voice comes to you that says, no, 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 all they need is like some dandelion tea. Do you ever kind of go with that odds? No. No, no, no. It's always no, a clear I, one diagnosis one, or the other. Once and one only. Okay. Once only. And even that does. So you've got to understand that I've always been interested in counseling and the psychodynamic view of general practice. And I've always said that, I mean, medicine is not just about prescribing uh, a penicillin or pills. I, I use acupuncture. I've used hypnosis. I've always had a broad view. I mean, I think there is a place for allopathic medicine, but th- that's just a place. And I, I've always said I think medicine, modern medicine worships at the altar of science. And, it's, and actually, the tail of science is wagging the dog of medicine. And we can talk about that later. I know you want to get into that. Um, but one time only, um, and I've told this many times before, very quickly, a woman came into my, into my room um, sobbing her heart out. I'd known her for many years, but she'd never been depressed. And uh, I, I actually wrote out a prescription for citalopram, which is an antidepressant, modern antidepressant. And as I, as I printed it out... Uh, as I took it out from the printer, I felt a blow to the back of my head and I heard a voice saying, ask her about her father. And with that, I saw the misty outline of a man over her shoulder. I could actually see it, like almost objectively, not just with my mind's eye. And I heard myself saying, Lucy, tell me about your dad. And she stopped crying. She said he was killed 38 years ago by the IRA. Do you think that's why I'm depressed? And I said, um, well, did he look like, describe the man over her shoulder? She said, yes, how do you know? And I said, uh, rather uncomfortably, Lucy, I could see him over your left shoulder. At which point she leapt at me, grabbed my arm and said, thank you, doctor, you don't know what this means. So the story is that when the troubles kicked off in Northern Ireland, um, although she was Catholic and the father's Catholic, he didn't agree with what the IRA were doing. And she thinks that they killed him. And she was um, traveling from the UK to Southern Ireland um, at, at the time that he was killed. And um, so she, she never saw her father, but she'd always felt that her father was around her um, after he died. But when she said that to the rest of the family, her brothers and sisters said, don't, you, you mustn't think like that. That's not in our religion. Um, but, I, but, but I actually confer, confirmed to her that her father was actually around her, she felt. Not only that, it was two days, coming up two days. She, her father was killed on, I think it was December the 8th, and this was December the 5th, 6th. So it was two days coming up to the anniversary. And as every doctor will know, um, these anniversary effects, even though you're not aware of them, are very powerful. 
And she then, she said, anyway, at the end of that, she told me this story and she said, well, thank you, doctor. Now that I know why I'm depressed, I don't need your silly pills. She stopped crying, left my room, my jaw was on the floor. And I thought my career was over because, you know, I've given a pet patient a message. Um, however, and she then went out and told my receptionist, Carol, what had happened. And I thought, well, the word's going to spread. Um, and I was really, really worried about it. Four weeks later, she came back to see me all smiles. I said, Lucy, what's wrong? She said, nothing. So I said, well, why are you here then? She said, I've come to tell you a story. So she sits down smiling and says, two weeks after I saw you, doctor, I was at my Irish social club and there's this creepy guy there who's known, who says that he's said to have the second sight. The second sight in uh, Irish tradition is, is obviously psychic powers. And he said, he's a bit creepy. He kept on tugging at me saying, Lucy, 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 I've got a message for you. Come to this room, I'll give it to you. And she said, I'm not coming to any room with you. If you've got a message for me, you tell me right now in the hall. And he said, Lucy, do you know there's a, uh, there, there, there's a fellow over your left shoulder? I think he's your father. And she said, of course I do. My doctor told me that two weeks ago. And she said, you know what, doc, that sure took the wind out of his sails. And she came back specifically to tell me that. So it, that had been validated. Now, look, that's not a scientific validation by any means. But that story, uh, I mean, I just thought, what, what, what was that about? You know, because remember, I'm... I'm and even now, I'm still very sceptical of what I'm doing. Um, but as far as she was concerned, that was evidence that her father was around. It, she didn't need any antidepressants. So it saved the, the British National Health Service the cost of antidepressants. So it's very powerful. And that's when I realized that this is very useful for bereavement counseling. Not only that, she told the message to her sister, sister lived in Spain at the time, and then her sister phoned her out and said, well, after you told me that message, I rolled over in bed and my... My, my deceased husband was next to me and he gave me a cuddle. And so when her sister was over from Ireland, she made an appointment to see me and introduced me to her sister. It affected the whole family. The whole family seemed to take comfort in this. Then they started having their own experiences. I mean, it was just weird. And, and sorry, so I mean, Lu Lucy's still around. I still see her. And we have the most amazing relationship. In my mind, though, this is way more effective than anything you could have dulled her experience down with or masked. I mean, because that's treating a symptom, right? And that's something that Western medicine, and I'm going to just refer to it as Western medicine from here on out. Basically, yeah, okay. your basic schooling training, because uh, we can all kind of go with that model. So what's interesting about this in my mind is the, the fact that you do have an additional ability to diagnose things or to recognize issues in people. So in the same way, you're still healing. You're still you're still doing what your heart is set out to do, which is to be a healer. Shaman used to do this. You're basically just a shaman that's memorized a bunch of stuff that they told you to memorize. But well, we can talk, we, we can talk about, sh well, I, I call it shame. Sh you call it shaman, I call it shame. But shamanism, um, what, what does a shaman do? He goes on a vision quest, okay? He goes to the other world. And he comes back with a cure. So what does a primary care physician do in the UK? It's very important, right? Um, we, um, the patient comes in and we, we, we think about what we're doing. Most of the time we treat them or I consult Google or whatever. Um, but often I will refer the patient or ask a question of a specialist in the big shiny building called a hospital and they will give me the knowledge. So I'll go on a vision quest, mm. uh, seek the cure and then come back. I mean, I, I, I think that, that, that these principles are very similar, that, there's a sort of secular shamanism which goes on. So I think that doctors are, in that, are, are involved in a ritual that's been going on for thousands, thousands of years. And I think it's just our Western stance on it. So, so I mean, I'm not saying they're the same. I'm saying the process is the same. And I think that doctors should be looking at that because what, what's happening right now is 
we've become so um, taken by the science that everything's got to be a randomized controlled trial. And it's all got to be in charts and sort of numerical. And they miss this very important healing part, which is the ritualized aspects of medicine. So that's one thing I've, I suppose I've always been aware of because when you do hypnosis and when you're a primary care physician, if you're interested in psychological things, you become aware of that. But I think that's quite important. So, yeah, I mean, there's a chapter in my book called Suburban Shaman um, for that very reason. So and there's what- a... Sorry, go on, go on. Oh, just whenever we talk about rituals, and I agree with you that this is, they're very similar actions, but the results of these actions are very, very different. This is, in my mind, the medical industry. And again, I I look at this with a different set of eyes than you do. And this is another reason I want to, I want to have this discussion with you and you're willing to have it, which is wonderful. Mm. That's a, that's a mm. huge tick in my pro box. Uh, so whenever you talk about rituals, it is ritualistic, but perhaps it's been skewed to put out a ritual that's not as beneficial as the older ways because simply there's a gain to be made in the eyes of the pharmaceutical industry or the mainstream however you want to put it the way that you have to practice now what you get paid to do now okay, is okay. Very- can i can well first you're you're to some extent you appreciate the converted um in the old days uh doctors would see drug reps you know these are drug salesmen they come and visit us even though we're part of the NHS. I mean, it's still up to us what we prescribe. So before this was banned, because it's not allowed anymore, they would come from, I mean, for most of my working lifetime, most GPs, the end of the surgery, uh, end of our, of our clinic, um, they say, well, do you want to see the drug rep from, I don't know, whoever it was? And I would always refuse to see them um, because I knew from my training in hypnosis that Actually, they were very, very effective at, 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 at selling. Now, most doctors think, oh, well, you know, this drug is not going to influence me. But, it, but you get some guy in a sharp suit showing you flip charts with graphs that look scientific and very you know, uh, graphics, you know, which, which in, in 15 years ago, you didn't have the slick graphics we had now. You know, the, you know, these are very slick graphics. I mean, it all looks very good and it's very easy to influence someone. So I always refuse to do that. Um, now, no, I'm not anti-medicine, if I'm, um, but I think that, I mean, look, you know, I mean, antibiotics, steroids, modern surgery, they're really, really useful and they, they've saved lives. Never have, ha- have people lived so long. I mean, you know, our life expands going up. Um, people aren't in fear of, 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 of infections. I mean, a simple infection could kill you in the old days. Um, and, and that's great, but there are downsides to it, and it's dumb. To, I mean, if you the only tool you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, basically. Mm-hmm. And right now, I think that that medicine is worship at the altar uh, is is worshiping at the altar of science. However, um, you can see a time when medicine that we practice becomes totally technic technical. I mean, you know, it maybe will become so powerful that you can do all sorts of science fiction, Star Trek stuff. That would be great you know we might all live for 500 years but even then there are still lots of human suffering lots of things that people will make them feel, feel make people feel ill but you'll still need someone human to talk about and people being people being incredibly complex they will still present with physical illness that's actually down to their their mental state their social state spiritual state and these will be genuine physical complaints that will completely fox 
um, our science or we'll be able to cure, but it will just be a, a sticking plaster over what the real problem is. You're right. But you are a rare exception because you actually consider alternative methods. Now, I would say that you are part of a 0.1% of people that either can do this, but that actually recognize and will utilize and consider that whenever you know, assessing a patient's issues or diagnosis. So, and back to what you said about ancient times and infections killing people, I don't know how accurate that is. There, there, people haven't had their wisdom teeth yanked out of their head for, you know, thousands of years before Western medicine came in and started doing it. We didn't have our tonsils taken out for thousands of years. There's an argument to be made that everything that ails us here on earth already exists on earth and it's free in nature and you just need the knowledge and wisdom which a ton of people have to be able to cure anything you hear stories constantly about the western medicine uh, and again we're just going to call it that western medicine snuffing out natural cures that would cure the entire planet like uh, cancer it's all been cured but they won't give you that information and of course this is where we get into the big bad they because there is a motive there's a modus operandi the way that I picture the medical industry, have you ever seen the movie Apollo 13? Mm-hmm. Okay, do you remember whenever in that movie, there's an issue on the craft and they have to solve an O2 thing. They have to build Yeah, build they have this. to get the square, ho- the, uh, they've got a square uh, manifold in and they have to get a round thing on it. They use duct tape or something, don't they? Yeah. Yes, and so in the situation room or how they solved this problem was they walked in with a box of items and they dumped it on the table and said, this is what we have to work with. We need to solve this problem based on only this. Okay. Yeah. So my yeah. point is, is about the medical industry, perhaps this is how they operate. Okay, you can solve this medical problem, but you have to do it with pills. You have to do it with something this pharmaceutical company came up with. You cannot use something that's yeah, not Yeah, what there. is a pharmaceutical co- company? That's what they do. They make drugs. So then they're not going to find anything else. So um, this... Yeah. This about the medical industry is what I find fascinating. Again, because you are walking between worlds, you you have a hand in the allopathy, but you also, of course, have your training. So what I mean by this is what what do you think, though, about a model to where instead of human beings like us and Americans, like you said, we, we take our health into our own hands a lot over here. We'll go straight to a specialist or we'll go straight to an acupuncturist. What if allopathy was the first line of defense for all of the medical field and it was standard and there was no influence by pharmaceutical companies to inject or to pill or to, you know, uh, suppress the symptoms. Rather, you go through an allopathic part and one would argue that if the understandings of the ancient teachings based on the ideology that everything you need is all around you and the earth has already provided every answer that you could look for, you just have to know how to look, then what if that was the first line of defense for folks? And then therefore, you you would probably screen out, I mean, we're throwing numbers around because we don't know what that would look like, but let's say a vast majority of things that can't be solved with surgery or pills or anything like that. Now, if that's necessary, it's available, but it's a last resort. Western medicine should be a last resort, right? Yeah. So, but I mean, allopathic medicine I, I is is Western medicine. It's the opposite of homeopathic medicine. Oh, I'm, so I I I, 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 I quite no. When I was at medical school, they talked about the lay referral chain, and in the old days, they'd say that um, before a pa- patient even got to see their doctor, they would have consulted their family. Um, someone who knew a bit of the other, they, um, a, a wise older woman, and then they go and see the doctor. So that, a lot of that, that, that happens, or used to happen. I'm not sure it happens so much now because society's become a lot more, I mean, in my lifetime, it's become a lot more, um, you have to be credentialed, you have to uh, go to the right person. There's so much information pushing you there. 
Um, and there's a lot of pressure on doctors to put people on pills. Now, there is no doubt about that. Um, you know, uh, there are some, in fact, there's a controversy going over, a little controversy on one of the medical forums. There's a, there's a, well, there's a reasonably well-known cardiologist in this country who's saying that statins are, are not a good idea. And people are calling him a quack. But the guy's not a quack. He's a cardiologist. What he's saying is we need to address, address people's lifestyle and the rubbish they eat and stuff like this, which is absolutely true. Um, and, of course, when you go back to folk remedies, I mean, there's enormous amount of, of folk remedies that have probably got some basis in fact. And, uh, I mean, the classic one being uh, Digitalis, you know, which is from the Fox Club. Aspirin <laughs> was from the willow bark. So, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the, the medicines that we use actually from the pharmaceutical companies have been, have been discovered uh, in nature, and they just then pump them out as a pure form. So, um, and this is the thing, because a lot of the, the herbalists will say, well, that's the problem, they're pure. And I have a, I have a patient who's a herbalist, and she explains to me that, that herbalists, were, uh, whereas a doctor will work with one particular pure drug, which, where, where they can see in a lab its effect, a herbalist says, no, you have a symphony of molecules. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, nature yeah. provides a sy- So you're not working with one note, you're working with a whole orchestra. Right. Which is, I think, it's quite an interesting concept. But I mean, I'm not, a her- I'm not trained as a herbalist. But I certainly give credence to these ideas. The problem you have is everything has to be, once you get into science, you have to prove it. And proving it means a random control, randomized controlled trial. And then you've got to look at how your trial's uh, uh, conducted and how it's made up. And, how you, and that, that's the devil's in the detail, Brandon. That's where it, um, and I could go on about that because, you know, if you look at the, the trials that are used for putting people on drugs, um, a lot of them, well, now they're saying they didn't include many women. So, what, you know, they, it's, it's male biased. Oh, we didn't think of that. And, and then um, how does that then, so if that was done in, a, say, a white middle class population, how, do that, how does that then play into my very mixed non-white non-middle-class population I look after? And the answer is we extrapolate, but it's hard to tell. So I, I don't know. This is, this, is, this is where when you really, really get into the science, get down into the weeds, you realize it's not so clear-cut. Well, but a lot of people say, you know, in this, do you believe whenever somebody says the words settled science, do you think that that's inaccurate? Do you think that in that particular moment, on that particular subject, that we've learned everything there is to know about that? Well, no, science doesn't know anything. Science just limits your uncertainty. So there's nothing settled about science. I mean, science, science never tells you what's true. It tells you, what, it, it tells you that what isn't true, what it can fairly say isn't true. It exp- but, but it doesn't limit the choices. I mean, there'll be other things. So we know that, um, I mean, go back to, back to something simpler, uh, relativity. We, knew, we know that Newton was an approximation because then Einstein came along and said, well, the orbit of Mercury shows that there's something weird going on. OK. And then quantum physics comes along and says, well, yeah, Einstein says uh, time, uh, time is uh, all geometry, but, but, quantum, but we can't marry quantum physics with it. So there's something else going on. So we know it's incomplete. So all science tells you is this is our. So science just gives you a model that you work with that is predictive for the time being. 
but it's I a mean, model. And you're looking always to disprove it. It's a model, yeah. It's not reality. It's a map. It's not the territory. But it's a map based on a certain set of standards. It's them pulling their map out of that box from Apollo 13. They only can work within this parameter. So you can solve a problem with Given that. these things, this is what you can solve the problem with, yeah. Right, but that's the thing. You're It's coercion at that point. Whenever you're given a choice between two things and not allowed to explore out of it, that's not choice. That's the illusion of free will or choice. That's called coercion. When you're given two sets of things, but there might be answers outside of it, the problem is those two things that you're offered, they make money on it both ways. There is a hand here that is very skewed and very motivated by only using the items in this box. One could extrapolate this out to the rocket community. There's been a lot of rumors for a long time that we've had free energy, that we've had rock, we've had the ability to travel the stars without rockets. Now, um, whenever you look at stuff like that, that is, again, another thing. It's like they're governed. They have training wheels on. You can only use what's in this box. And, and then a lot of people will say, well, look, we've got this technology over here. It's actually been proven. No, 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 no. Don't look at any of that. Even though it's better and it works well and you don't need us anymore, we're not going to allow you access to that type of treatment or that type of idea. This is where I'm the most excited, but the most um, apprehensive about my excitement with the medical field is when you start marrying the homeopathic, like you said, and alternative so the methods. Other, the, no, no, homeopathy is something, get your terms right. No, I want... I homeopathy want the, is, is a particular... Uh, system about taking from the earth things that are already naturally here and incorporating yeah, them into a, the body. Yeah. That's that is what I meant. I meant to say yeah. homeopathic the yeah. whole time. And thank you for the okay. clarification. Right, right, yeah. So marrying those ideas. Now what you've done is you've taken all access to all information, not just the access to the information that they tell you you have to pull from. They they give you a textbook. Well, in that textbook, it doesn't tell you about the sound healing technologies that people have been working on to destroy tumors in the body without having to be invasive and no chemo. It doesn't tell you about the intention studies done by Lynn McTaggart about the power of eight and how they're able to heal people from just standing around and thinking about them being better. You're not going to find that in one of your textbooks because that doesn't make the medical industry that is running everything, that doesn't make them any money. Well, it's it's not, it's more than that. It doesn't make sense within the current paradigm. I think that's the other thing. I mean, I mean, I don't, I mean, I I mean, I know these, I know a lot of these people. I mean, I, I know one of the leading scientists and, um, so one of the guys uh, is a friend of mine, a scientist. He runs um, a cancer institute in Edinburgh. I've known him for many years. His, his wife is a Chinese acupuncturist, and he has a really open mind, right? And, but he's doing a lot of research in the sort of stuff that, that you might find horrific, RNA, all this stuff. But he keeps an open mind. He says everything's got a value, and he doesn't dismiss. His wife's just got a PhD in the use of acupuncture in chronic pain in gynecological patients in, up in Edinburgh. Um, and this guy thinks that, you know, he thinks there's value in it. Um, but he's still working within uh, a, a standard biochemistry paradigm. So I, I, I think, I think it's, it's not that people are that they're against it. A lot of them are open-minded, but, but, but it's like the day job. Right. Mm-hmm. This Their is day it, job is, is working within this particular area, which, which is science, where the, the parameters are set. But within those parameters, that's what they're working outside that. So, so within the day, I'm paid to practice Western medicine. I do a little bit of the other stuff, but basically I'm trained and paid to practice Western medicine. I do that. I'm, um, but I'm, I'm you know, happy to do that. It, I find a lot of it is very helpful. But it doesn't mean I'm going to close my mind off the other things. Uh, and it also doesn't mean that I'm not aware of the problems 
with with the with the meds with the way Western medicine's practice. And I scratch my head about against uh, about that. Uh, I scratch my head thinking about that a lot because I can already see some of the problems that are developing within my profession. So, see, you've already been exposed to alternative methods of being able to treat, diagnose your patients that you know are more effective. This is the thing, and the the paradigm is what I'm talking about here. Now, you know what, and and I'm not um, ignorant to the fact that there's a ton of people like you out there that just don't say anything and that just won't speak up. Either they're not surrounded by the same synchronicities you found in your life to be able to set you up for this idea, or they're not around a good support group, or they're around way too many people that are like, nope, just toe the line. You got to ignore that. You're going to be thrown in the loony bin if you keep telling people you're seeing their dad over their shoulder and they, they just need to settle up with that rather than be on antidepressants. This model is not praised in the community. And if nothing else, and we're seeing this a ton right now with what's going on with alternate ideas on and we're we're going to get into that in a minute. Let me just finish the point on this because I'm still curious about this paradigm thing that in my mind is what's needed. Right. Because, yes, like you said, science is not settled. A lot of scientists, you know, the settled science thing, whenever scientists say that, I'm like, you've just given up. You, you're obviously towing the line. You're making a lot of money on the back end of this by just saying the science is settled. Therefore, hey, public, that's not PhD people that don't do their own research and look into this stuff. Just trust us. We're going to give you a pill. You're going to feel better immediately. It's going to come back up in six months because we're only treating symptoms because we know that uh, they create, you know, and you can't deny that the pharmaceutical industry is set up to create customers not cures. It's a business. Okay, yeah, sure. but th this is the thing. This, a paradigm shift is what is needed, and I know that you're on board with this as well. Yeah. Because the current paradigm, yes, is very, very, very skewed. It's very influenced, and it's very not helpful in an altruistic state. Because if you're given all methods to... Because in your Hippocratic Oath, you are taking an oath saying that you're going to do everything in your power to save this person and to do what's best for them. But... The caveat to that is, is your Hippocratic Oath is under this umbrella of options that you have. You're restricted as far as what you can do in, the, you know, doing well, anything in your do powers, no in air quotes. Then one would argue that you might be doing more harm by prescribing antidepressants to somebody rather than them going through a process. This is the problem. I mean, you, I mean, you know, I mean, statistically, you probably are doing harm to some people, but you hope you're doing more good. And not intentionally. The question is, yeah, this is, this is, this is the, this is the, this is the problem. I mean, you don't know. I mean, and a lot of the stuff, um, I, I was doing, say, 30 years ago, you now know probably wasn't very good. We used to tell people to have um, a uh, low-fat and high-carbohydrate diet. And now they're saying, oh, gosh, we've been giving the wrong... Everyone's now diabetic um, because we told them to have a high-carbohydrate diet. So now... So, I mean, it's, it's, it's very... I mean, so all they would say is, look, you can only work with the, with the, with the information you've got at the time with the best of intentions. So that's the idea of professionalism, and that's the idea of having a codified body of knowledge, so that everybody can agree. Look, this is this is the best state of knowledge, um, and and the people who are sensible within medicine and science know that there are limitations. They know they don't know everything, but I'm afraid there are some people who just do. I mean, you know, they just take everything that they're sold and they just believe it, and they and then they make it into a. A, a religion like scientism really isn't it you know worship, oh yeah, which I think yeah. these people worship at the altar of science they don't think that it's just a way of it's just a, a way of questioning things it's a good way of questioning it's got to i mean the fact we're talking together reliably shows the power of science um 
But there are other ways of looking at the world, and perhaps there are other sciences that 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 we haven't that that we've either forgotten or that we haven't learned things that will make more sense. Um, I don't know. And and saying I don't know is the first thing. I don't know. Well, that and and you're. You're a wonderful representative for this. And I want, I want to make clear that we're just discussing the ideas and you're giving me clarity on these ideas. I think what you do is fantastic. And I think you are the bridge between the next step. I think that this is where we're going to go with this. Because when you talk about knowledge that human beings have on the state of being of another human being, uh, as far as treating them, as far as diagnosing and then figuring out what's going on, to everything available to you on planet Earth, then there is a knowledge base there. But you're not allowed to dip into a great deal of it from well, no, well, that perspective. Let, yeah. Well, let me tell you how I, my, how I approach it. I thought when I was having all these weird things happen to me, I thought I was heading towards healing rather than mediumship. I didn't know what the hell was happening. I thought well, I'm a doctor. Maybe I'm going to become a healer. I mean, I really didn't know. I was a bit of a space cadet. You know, I, 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 I really, when these things happen to you, it's very destabilizing. I mean, and you can see it. You go through this space cadet phase where you're the guy corner getting someone in the corner of a party with waving a celery stick at them saying this is what happened to me yeah. anyway, so I, I i went to various um uh, uh healing centers and and I, I thought you know what this really isn't for me because um i can immediately see the pitfalls yeah you could heal someone uh, but any any of my colleagues will say yeah well they were really, they were going to get better anyway and it's not consistent it's not you know, you can't put your hands on someone and say Definitely, they're going to get healed. I mean, there were some amazing healers like Arrigo, um, I think in South America, you know, in the 70s. He could, um, the surgeon of the rusty knife, you know, he, he would extract cataracts, ostensibly using a rusty knife. Uh, I think people have filmed him taking out cysts with his bare hands. And then they slow the film down. You can see him parting the skin. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't there. But that, that's, what, that, that's what eyewitnesses say. And I've heard some pretty amazing uh, eyewitness accounts from other things that from people I would certainly trust. So I wouldn't dismiss it. Um, but from my point of view, I was on a personal expo- exploration. And what I found was, first of all, if I did start diagnosing stuff that was sort of considered to be a bit um, not, not quite recognized by medicine, um, that would put me certainly in professional jeopardy. Also, to be honest, I was much more interested in mediumship. And the reason why with mediumship, you've got instant feedback. So when I, when I got into programming, um, in the old days, I mean, when I was a student, when you wrote a program, you had to have punch cards, stacked punch cards. You'd have to, which I never did, but all my, my colleagues at university, they used to have these IBM stack, stacked punch cards. They used to do the program, um, write it out by hand. Someone would convert it into cards. They'd then take it to the computer center. Within a week, they'd get the output. And that would bore me bore me witness. I couldn't do that. What I got into computing was when it was instant, I could write a piece of code, run it, see it and get instant feedback. And that, and, and that was a lot more sort of organic for me. And that's how I feel with mediumship. It's instant. You know, you, you're only as ever good as your last message. Um, for instance, to, yesterday I was speaking to a patient. Um, her husband died and um, I'm on the phone to her. And I knew her husband really well, but I didn't know this bit. So um, I, I could just sense him then. He was saying, he showed me some gold coins in a box. And I thought, God, what's this about now? Because, because um, you know, you, it's not like there's someone there telling you, tell her this and this. And that. It, you, you've got to unpick the images in your mind. And I thought, oh, what, what's, what's he going on about? 
So I said to her, I said, Linda, um, I got, um, I got him here, and um, he's going on about some money or something, and he's showing me. I said, um, and the reason why that is he's showing me some gold coins. I said, he doesn't, he doesn't collect gold coins, does he? She said, yeah, he did. He's got a load of old, old coins, old gold coins. Now, they, I tell you what, there was no way I expected him to do that because, you know, he just wasn't the sort of guy I'd have thought would have done that. This guy was a, a really big strapping guy, um, very opinionated. I mean, I got on with him really well, but I didn't think he'd be a, a numismatist, you know, someone who collects old, old coins. So, I mean, she took great comfort in that. And that's instant feedback. And these types of things are instant feedback. This is this is a wonderful way of being able to recognize that this is a real thing. Now, the repeatable nature of it is what is so tricky. And this is what's so tricky about all high strangeness, right? Is that it's not repeatable in the sense that you can go into a lab that you can most things. So if, if I go out into my garage and I take my saw and I cut a piece of wood, that's pretty repeatable. Yeah. If I sit there and watch a tree grow, it's not going to grow in the same exact way every single time. It's going to have variations. The DNA the way the branches form, all of these things are going to vary tree by tree by tree. It's still a damn tree. It's still a high strangeness phenomena, but it's not 100% identically repeatable other than something that you've introduced as like a an, um, a faker and uh, what is the word? Inauthentic. What is the word I'm looking for here? Um, anyway, you get what I'm saying. It's not real. Yeah. So, the, these types of things in nature or high strangeness, they follow a similar pattern to where they have a predictable type of an outcome, but not predictably incited type of yeah, an outcome. Yeah. Now, they're starting to do things like this with the CE5 groups that do that bring in UFOs and stuff. They're starting yeah, to work Steve with Reyes intention. Thing, yeah. Yes. And then you've got, like I said, Lynn McTaggart. They're starting to explore these ideas and these options. What the issue I've got, and because I, I want to mention again that this is not 100%. This is a very tiny, tiny sliver of people that control the mandates. And so now we're talking about a more conspiratorial element to the medical industry. Be, and, and examples abound, man. Like I said, uh, you've got people shutting down Chinese healers that can cure with their hands uh, and just shutting them down. Uh, there are rumors and stories and documents that go back telling about entire swaths of rainforest that were cut down after a doctor immediately found the cure for cancer published his paper, the doctor turned up murdered, and the um, forest ends up swiped out. That is not yeah, a coincidence. Stories, yeah. So yeah. things like that. And then as well, things like the Bear Corporation. So if it was really about your health, let's walk down this real quick, because this is something that just came to my mind this year, uh, is Roundup is made by the Bear Corporation. They make the number one heart medicine on the planet. Okay. Roundup, what does that do? Oh, do you mean round up? No, I don't know. No, no. Round up the drug or round up the chemical that you spray on? It's interesting on you put crops. it that way. Uh, round up the one that you uh, spray on crops. It's a weed killer. Okay. Yeah. So round up is the is the thing which isn't that the one which kills lots of weeds? And what they do, they introduce a resistant gene into the uh, the various seed seed crops, so it resists Roundup. So you can up the dose. Yeah, is that what we're talking about here? It is what we're saying. That's a part of it, but it's made... So Roundup is made by Bayer. Bayer Corporation makes the number one distributed heart medicine on the planet. Roundup kills weeds. The number one heart medicine on the planet is dandelion tea. You could take dandelion roots. It's way better than anything Bayer could ever come up with, right. but they're making a product that kills what cures you in nature. I didn't know about dandelion tea, but I mean, um, I, I have a friend, again, she's a herbalist, and she's got lots of um, Ask her about things. 
Yeah, well, it's actually been very helpful because um, uh, when I was diagnosed with osteoporosis, she immediately said, this, you need these various supplements and this and the other. So I looked into it and she knew what she was going on about. And I mean, the other thing I've just read lately is um, prunes now they've found have got enormous benefit for, um, for osteoporosis, for bones. So I'm taking prunes every day. I'm, I'm watching I prunes have a rather strong effect on my stomach. So, <laughs> are we going to so need everything's need a break? got side effects, Brandon? <laughs> do we do we need a break every half hour? No, are you no, going to make it? No. Okay. No. You I know, just got uh, my com- just got my kombucha here. That's all. So okay, well. fair enough. I so, but this is this is the thing, right? And this is one of the issues I've got with this. And this is what I think, though, also is coming to light. So we're seeing a lot of this. We're seeing actual remedies come out. I know that there's been a much bigger swing, and you could there's there's a bunch of arguments about why this is happening. Whether we're going through some sort of spiritual awakening, whether we're transferring into some dimension uh, that's different, and uh, things like this are coming more to light. So the the point I want to finish up on on this part of the medical thing, and then we'll move on is is that the influence from things start uh, at its beginning at our establishment into this world right you're brought up if you don't have a, a grandma around or a mima that grew up with uh, you know castor oil or that will go out into the yard and pick dandelions for you because you've got a heart problem then what you are at the mercy of is advertisements at um, the mercy of the system saying that's obviously skewed a small part of it is skewed, even though people like you have the best of intentions. You're working within a system. So that system trains you and all human beings from an early age that you need doctors and you need pills and you can't heal from plants outside. You've got to go somewhere and go see Dr. Ian Rubenstein and then he'll help you out. So how much of what actually benefits people is a placebo effect? Oh, well, now I've written now, now you're talking. I mean, this is, I had, I've actually had a publish a paper published in the British Medical Journal about placebos, um, because I think placebos are underutilized. First of all, uh, it's medicine's dirty little secret. Um, I mean, if 30% of people get better on a placebo for, for, for lots of things, why on earth aren't we using placebos? Right. Um, and, the, and, and so the, um, the answer is, is, is well, you're, you're lying to patients. Well, first of all, um, so my, my, uh, I, a guy, uh, Rudy Pitroff, who's a doctor uh, my wife worked with, he came up with an idea. He's a very unusual thinker. He said, well, hang on. If you'd actually look at the particular placebo that was used in a randomized controlled trial, and if you know that, say, 30% of your patients got better on that, then you can say that particular placebo made 30% of people better. So if you gave that particular placebo, you wouldn't be lying. Which is very interesting because you can say that's very interesting. Work. Yeah, I mean that's a fantastic. I mean, the, the, the really good way of looking at it. But I, it always occurred to me that if we're talking about a ritualized system, and 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 it's obviously the placebo is not the placebo. It's our innate healing powers, the intelligence of our body that that, that actually heals that we're stimulating, and that's actually what drugs do. I mean, I mean. A lot of the drugs that, that we give to people are just, they just target receptors on the cell and they stimulate them. And it's the cell that does the work. So, you know, it's all receptors and keys in locks. You turn the key and it unlocks the effect. And they're now talking that maybe um, in the future, you'll be, able to, you'll be able to electrostimulate various parts of the blood pressure. You electrically stimulate the carotid artery, the, the carotid sinus here, and that can lower your blood pressure. So there's all sorts of, of techniques coming along that Western medicine is uh, uh, considering. But, 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 but if it's the ritualized aspect, it occurred to me that maybe you can tell the patient it's a placebo yeah. and they'll get better. 
and I think there's a guy called um, Professor Erwin Kirsch or someone like this who did who did um, a, a trial and he came and he, he discovered you can tell people it's a placebo and they still get better. And not only that, if you give people a red color pill, it's better for relieving pain. If you give them a blue color pill, it's better for calming the nerves. So now we're into really wacky color therapy stuff that maybe has actually got some basis in fact. Um, and I, I'm all for it. When I was a, uh, a young doctor, there used to be, um, you, you could still prescribe tonics to patients. And there was, um, I'll, I'll tell you two stories here. That, um, so um, uh, for my, for my, before I ever gave people antidepressants, if they were, if they, a lot of people do want you to prescribe. And, and the, um, there's a, a psychotherapist called Michael Ballin, who I've trained under this system, who talks about the drug being the doctor. And that when the doctor gives a prescription or a, or a bottle of medicine, he's giving a little bit of himself, his love, his attention in that bottle. And that's what's really doing the healing. Um, and, on, and, and I would often give people a tonic, especially if they're of a certain age. So when I started in medicine, a lot of the elderly people I looked after grew up in the days of bitter tonics. And the, the, the more bitter it was, the better it was for you. So I'd give something called Mr. Gent Alk, which is a gentian alkaline mixture, which is foul. And I'd, I'd, I'd tell you, well, this, this was known by the Romans and my predecessor, Dr. Barnes, used to give it. And a lot of people swore by it. And, and it's horrible. And every time you drink it, you have a spoonful of it, you can curse my name because it's so bitter. <laughs> and they'd always say, I would never curse your name, John. But it, it often worked. And I'm now going to tell you, um, this, this is a real true story. I, before I was um, working at my practice in, in Enfield in North London, I, I was a student health doctor at the London School of Economics just for one year. It was fascinating. That's, that's why I learned. Um, uh, I, a third of my, my patients were Americans, uh, really bright, you know, London School of Economics. Um, some of them were even CIA operatives. Uh, and I remember I, I saw a, a, a woman, she was my age, about 27, and she said, can you give me some indomedicine? And I said, um, why do you need indomedicine? And she said, well, um, I had a back injury. Um, I was in the services. I said, what happened? She said, I was pushed off a cliff. And I said, well, can you tell me why were you pushed off the cliff? And she literally said, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. Damn. And I said to my boss, what was that about? He said, oh, she's CIA. I said, what do you mean CIA? She, uh, he said, well, what happens at the LSE? We have, um, uh, if, if CIA people are injured, they become uh, analysts and they train the, at the LSE. And it, we also have Russian KGB um, uh, people here as well. So I had R R Russians and, and American agents looking after them. Anyway, so... That, that, that's a nice story. But the other story was um, I had this African guy. This is a guy with a PhD, okay? Really clever guy, Nigerian guy. And he came to see me one day and he said, and this was before Viagra, okay? You've got to understand. So if you can think back to because before Viagra, men never came with erection problems, okay? That changed everything. Pun intended, okay? right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, right. No, this is true, okay? So he came to see me. He said, doctor, I'm getting married tomorrow. I said, yes. He said, I want something to make me strong. <laughs> well, what's he going on about? I didn't know that. I thought, what? He make you strong? Like spinach, like Popeye? No, for the wedding night. I thought, oh, my God. So I thought, what do I do? Because, you know, he, he obviously was feeling anxious. I, I thought, okay. In, in, we had a little pharmaceutical room, and, and he, uh, I, there were two things. There was, um, magnesium uh, mixture for indigestion and potassium citrate. 
Um, and when you mix them together, I didn't know what, what would happen, but I thought they're bound to do something. So I mixed, I said, I've got this, these two potions. I'm going to mix them together. I and mean, he looked at it, I put it in a, in a little jar and it foamed up like semen. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know, like, and he, I said, look, you do this before the wedding night and you drink it down. It'll make you very strong. So he did that. And then he came back a week later and said, doctor, you made me very strong. It was great. <laughs> Thank you. So no, look, you know, I mean, I, so that, you're making your own boner medicine now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, it, it, I, I was, I was, the, the guy came from a culture where this is what happened. He yeah. expected that. Okay. Yep. And I, and I, 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 I am, you might say I was being patronizing, but I felt that for me to say, Oh, go away. You know, this is a load of rubbish. You've got nothing. I thought that's not going to be helpful. So I sort of tried to his mindset. I thought, well, let's play along with this, see what we get. Um, I'm, 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 I mean, you know, some doctors would say, well, you're just kidding the guy. And that was a terrible thing to do, but he was happy. It cost nothing and it helped him. So there's, and I thought that, I thought it was pretty, pretty cool actually at the time. So did he, but there we go. It is extremely cool. But for the same reasons why it was beneficial is the same reasons why I think that uh, you don't see more of it. Now, what you said was, is he expected that was his culture, right? This is the point I wanted to make about placebos. So you, you've slipped it in here perfectly. Placebos possibly, and the way that I look at them is not, they're not necessarily nothing that's doing something. That's an idea. But the way that I look at it, it's more a suggestive influence that convinces you that whatever you are about to put in your body is going to solve why you're feeling bad, right? Okay. So it's that clear cut. So all it is therefore is an influence on your psyche that then makes the body heal itself in a placebo account, but also nocebos work that way as well. So yeah. the, the psychological element to this is what's so fascinating to me. Now back to the cultural part of it. If you were to introduce a bunch of drugs and things like that into Africa, they don't understand it. They don't understand that that's a cultural thing. Plus a lot of the drugs we introduce over there, if you look at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, have killed and sterilized a shitload of Africans. So now not only did they not be raised with that because their culture is not that, when people came in outsiders came in with this new information it did horrible things for their village and for their people so now they've got an even bigger distrust of this type of ideology because that's all this is it's an ideology that is skewed based on an influence to make more money so do you think that the placebo effect as far as Western cultures being told and influenced that the only way to get better is to go to a doctor to get pills, to get shots, and to make sure that you do it that way. Ignore these people that are pulling plants out of their backyard and doing that. That's silly. We don't, in our culture, it is very, it, of course, we're generalizing here, but the um, vast amount of people think that that is a silly practice. And why don't you just go to the store and pick up some Tylenol? Because that's a cultural placebo. They expect yeah, no, well, that to work. I, I, no, I, I, See where I take issue. I, I now I'm not about the medical profession. I think people will always want to see somebody else to make them better. Yes, this is true. But the cultural aspect of this is that our culture has been conditioned that yes, when you do go seek this knowledge elsewhere because you don't have it, the only place that you can go culturally influenced, which is a placebo. This is an influence. You're not going to get better unless you go see a doctor. Don't go see the chick down the street with the little, you know, psychic palm reading thing in the corner where she has a bunch of herbs that will actually cure you. The thought that those kind of things don't work and that they're not repeatable may be because our society has a placebo effect. There's a, there's a 
blanket a over everybody. A nocebo effect. Well, yeah, nocebo. either way, either way. It's a yeah. nocebo or a placebo. The placebo part of it is you yeah. need these things to make you better. And the plants in the backyard don't do it. And those silly bush people over there, they don't know what the hell they're doing. That's why they die all the time, which is not accurate. They know cures for a ton of stuff. If you look at like um, Sapo, have you ever heard of that? No. Okay, it's a South American practice where they use uh, frogs and frog. There's this one particular type of frog that secretes. It's not a psychoactive thing at all. So it's the one you lick, then you lick it. Kind of. So this has um, a secretion whenever it gets attacked. So they do this, and they're very gentle on the frogs because they want to keep them around. So they take care of them. So they scrape this ooze off of them. They mix it with the spit of the shaman, let it dry into a paste. They burn your arm, and then they put a swab of it oh, in there. Okay. Sorry. So what this does is that this introduces antibiotic properties and healing properties into the body that aren't found on a bottle marked Tylenol that aren't found in a prescription pad, but it works and it works very, very well. This culture knows that that's the way to heal itself. If you were to introduce a bottle of pills to them, they would know what to do and they would probably have horrible adverse reactions. It seems to me that in the medical industry and culturally specifically, you could see these pockets of people that have only been influenced by their ideologies. They all work. So if everything works, but they're at conflicting ideologies, what the hell's going on? It's obviously some sort of placebo or some sort of influenced effect. I, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, well, look, we, I think we, I think there's a, I mean, I think you can make a case for understanding how the placebo effect works. I mean, we know that the, the, the psychoneuroimmunology we now talk about the, the link between your psychologicals, uh, your, your frame of mind, the underlying neurology, and how uh, immune cells come to the brain and get programmed. I mean, that wasn't known when I was at Vicks. When people now know there are links there, so you can understand it. I, 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 actually, what I think it is more, Brandon, is is the use of science by stupid, not stupid, by people who, or by dumb people, let's say, let, I'll say it, you know. If, or by if, people if, that are motivated by a certain monetary gain to skew yeah, well, the results. But if you're a drug company, you've got monetary gain. There's no doubt about it. You're going down a certain pathway. You, you, it's not, I mean, you call it a conspiracy if you want, but it actually, they, they, they take it upon themselves to make money out of selling drugs. Yep. And you can't sue them if something happens to you. So they're it's protected. It's set in stone, isn't it, after that? But, but, but. For other people ought to think, well, maybe that's just one way of approaching the problem. There are other ways of approaching the problem. And I, I you know, you've got to have, I feel you've got to have more than one arrow in your quiver if you want to have a, 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 a martial analogy for medicine, which perhaps not the best analogy. It's perfect. I agree with that because you need multiple options. But this is the yeah, thing. Yeah, if you train yeah. culture, and, and again, we're generalizing here, but the problem is the reason it's sustainable and that this is the model that's in place right now is because so many people to the placebo nocebo the influenced effect on society you've been told from our cultures that you have to go to this person to get better and if you don't go to this person you won't get better therefore that mindset creates yeah. a need okay no, it's but, not but necessarily not only, true it's just what people have been told therefore they believe it therefore but not only that now there's a we've got into this thing of credentialing in society everything has to be credentialed to the point where it becomes crazy. Um, uh, I mean, even if you're a credentialed uh, professional, you still have to be more, even more credentialed. Um, and you end up doing pointless online courses for pointless things just to maintain credentialing. I mean, it, it becomes these things. I don't actually think they're conspiratorial. I actually think you, the system set up and it snowballs. Um, sure, there are people who, you know, Let's let's not kid ourselves. I mean, conspiracies occur every single level. And if you're in a business, 
business gets together to make profit, you can call that a conspiracy if you want. But I think the system is is actually broken, and I think it's uh, not not working properly. And I think you end up with unintended consequences. Fine. You might say some there are intended. I don't know. We could discuss that. We can definitely. That is a direction I would like to go. Um, And I agree with you. So, but that's the thing. If they're only told that this is what you can do, then, you know, under penalty of whatever, losing your license, something like that, then that's clearly going against the Hippocratic Oath. It's it's not even that. that. It's not even that. Just the mindset. I mean, let's segue to the UFO thing. Okay. Hell yeah. We self-censorship. You know, the minute UFOs are mentioned, you get the X-Files music and raised eyebrows and people sniggering. Why? Um, I've just been reading Ross Coulthart's book, um, In Plain Sight. You know Ross, Ross Coulthart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a brilliant guy. He's a top Australian journalist. I mean, you know, the water, modern water Cronkite of, of Australian news. And he's been interested in UFOs for ages. And um, you just, and he was saying that, you know, where people thought he was crazy. Why? Because, but well, why? It's a good news story. It's become self-censorship. I mean, you just have to, I mean, what do they say? The, the world is the, uh, the matrix, in the matrix, the, the world is the illusion that's been pulled over your eyes. I mean, and then you're stuck in it and there's no other way of thinking. That's the best way of doing it. You're right. And that is that is kind of the idea of the model. But there are holes in the theory. And the more that you train yourself to look for these holes, the more evident they become. So, you know, that, that saying real eyes real lies, real lies, right? So whenever you start to see these things, you see them now all around you and you can clearly see the influence that they have. It's the allegory of the cave by Plato, right? There are people that are sitting there watching the shadows. One decides to leave. He tries to tell them what's going on. They think he's full of shit. That's that's what I think is going on in our world right now. So it leads us now to uh, what we probably need to close on and we'll see how fast we can do this. We've already burned through an hour, dude. Have we? No. Yes. Really? Yeah. I'm telling <laughs> okay. you, and, and I could do a third episode with you because we've only yeah, got kind of a foundation set up. I don't, we could just do, you and I should just do a whole damn show on this. So, I mean, like our own podcast. So, okay, let, let's talk about the influence of what's going on right now. And if there is malicious intent occurring, which I do think that there is, I think that there's way too much evidence to talk against that. So let's talk about the current model of what's happening now. So do you think that the situation that we find ourselves in medically right now with what's going on globally, and we all know what I'm talking about, do you think that this was done accidentally or on purpose? Uh, I, I, I'm coming to the conclusion that it was, well, first of all, you've got to understand that. I don't that, know is a great answer too. No, I mean, you okay. don't have to no, have no, this determined. But, just based I mean, on the preamble to this would be is that this has been talked about for years. We've had every eight years or so, we've had a coronavirus outbreak. Uh, which the, which have been controlled. Um, this one, and, and people were saying, look, it's going to get out of hand. I mean, I've been to lectures, you know, countless times. They're saying the next pandemic, next pandemic, we need to be prepared for it. We've got 7 billion human beings. Whenever you have a lot more uh, an- animals around than, than you had before, that, that, that means there's going to be some outbreak of something. It's amazing we haven't, that, it, that we haven't got, had this before. Well, we have had this before. You know, 100 years ago, you had the flu pandemic. Was it, was it released on purpose? I, I, personally, I don't think so, because it's a very bad bioweapon. Um, uh, it, it looked, I mean, the lab leak hypothesis you got slated for a year ago, if you talked about it, but now people are, are saying, you know, it's, it, it seems possible that there was a leak from the Wuhan. I mean, I don't know. Um, but it was a really bad bioweapon. I mean, if you want to release a bioweapon, 
you don't want to do this is not a good buy and a good bioweapon will kill people instantly yeah and go very quickly that's that's a buy so i don't think it's a, i don't think it's a good bioweapon i mean i think this was a catastrophe if it was a lab leak i think it wasn't done intentionally um but i mean the answer is i don't know i mean i've just seen the consequences of whatever it is and it's not pretty so what do you are you a germ theory or a terrain theory guy you're more germ theory right well, no, 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 no. I mean, look, look, it's not one or the other. I'm, I'm, I'm everything, man. I mean, you know. Well, one contradicts the other. One tells that viruses are transmissible and one tells that viruses are always in the body. No, no, no. Look, I mean, viruses exist. They cause disease. I've got, I know people who've spent their entire life working on them and can produce disease at will in test animals. But to um, be fair, through the model of the box that they're given to dump out on the table. Yeah, yeah, play yeah. With. But you can actually give it to an animal and kill them or make them sick. Or we can give it to a person and make them ill. I mean, there was the cold research in, in this in the UK. There was the cold research facility uh, which spent fifty years trying to cure the common cold. They never managed it. But what they did manage to do was to give people colds consistently, and they would give them colds. They'd introduce the virus, and they get a cold, um, and they could you, you could dose it, and they get the cold. I mean, you know, there's no doubt about that. But but some people wouldn't get the cold. Well, there because are other they had an innate immunity. Well, or there are other studies done where they did this. The U.S. military did this, where they had coronavirus studies. This was way back in the day, and they would spit in people's mouths. They would take swabs from infected, verified infected people, transfer this, have them breathe all over each other. No one ever transmitted the virus, not one. It's I not. So this is the difference yeah. in German German terrain theory, which is why that they're they're pretty interesting theories and why they're so at odds with each other, because one each sets up a foundation for your understanding about how the world works around you. And if all you've been told is that viruses are transmissible, therefore you can catch them, therefore we have to lock people down and all that, that framework would skew how you would treat, approach any of that stuff, how you yeah, would interact with your terrain life. theory would see viruses as, as I understand it, as a result a result of stress in the body, uh, toxins being removed once a year, which happens in winter for everyone, and everybody kind of goes through this sh shedding experience. Ancients used to praise it and look forward to it. It's not a, the idea is it's not necessarily transmissible. It's that with, in the wintertime, we have lack of sunlight, uh, shorter days, you have colder weather, you've got, you know, less activity outside, so you're less active, you've got less vitamin D coming in naturally from the sun. So therefore, this is a natural time yeah, yeah, where no, that, everybody that, sheds. Can... I can take all that, but they are transmissible. There's just no doubt. I mean, that, that, that is something which you can, you can transmit it. This is what I find fascinating. This no, no, I mean, you've done it. I mean, I've done it. You know, I, I've seen it happen. I've worked with it. I've actually seen it occur in real life. I mean, I've, I, I, you know, you can do it in the lab. I mean. You can do a lot you know, in the I mean, lab. Look, so let's say, let's say, for instance, um, whenever they do rat studies, uh, the condition of the rats or their mental state, which is something you have mentioned about your patients, and I do agree with, I think that that's very, very important. Their mental state has a lot to do with how the studies are uh, resulted, what the results of the studies are. So if you're saying that you have a rat in a place that it's sick, it's nasty, it's getting shit on by other diseased rats that are in a very stressful and low vibration type of a atmosphere, cytokines are being released within that mammal, then you're shooting it up with experimental stuff that's stressing out, that's shocking the system of an already stressed entity, yes, you are going to get some pretty dramatic results to the fact that things kind of suck for that animal. You can do this with humans as well. One example of in the lab's uh, experiments being skewed by environment. That's very important, and you know this. So yeah, no, yeah, yeah. One, of, one of the experiences, what they did with um, um, 
opiates on rats, okay? So they had a poor rat by itself in a cage. They gave it a water bottle, two water bottles. One had nothing but water in it. The other one had um, heroin in it, okay? An opioid. That rat... And this is how they proved the war on drugs, by the way. This is how they set up laws for war on drugs. That rat would go to that morphine and just drink the hell out of it until it killed over and died. Now, another doctor found that that wasn't a fair environment for the study to be participated in accurately. So what he did was he created something called Rat Park. Have you heard of this study? Okay, so Rat Park is what they would do is they set up the exact same experiment. They had two water bottles, one with just water, one with morphine, uh, an addictive substance. But what they did was they expanded the cage. Okay, so now their enclosure is much larger. They put other rats in there. So now they can, you know, mate, they can have sex and play around. They put toys, they put uh, adventures, puzzles for them to figure out. They created an environment that was stimulating in other ways. The amount of rats that went over to the morphine water and drank it until they died is zero. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure what this is going to do, do with viruses and germ theory. What this then, means but, is, is whatever yeah. the condition in the lab is, those results that can be then put out, published, and told to the public based on an expectation can be skewed. So even lab results can be skewed. Doctors can be bought. Oh, yeah. You yeah. can't, but doctors can be no, bought no, no. to no, say no, 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 that look, things are a certain but, that can happen, but most scientists are well-intentioned and working at the coalface. Look, I know people who, who are virologists, who are microbiologists, who deal with this all the time. Um, it would be like, it would, it, to them, it would be like saying, look, cars don't exist or wheels can't turn around. I mean, you realize what you're saying. Um, it's pretty much, I mean, you can, these people can look inside a cell. They can actually, you can, now you can build a virus from scratch and you can actually watch it infect a cell. You can watch it multiplying. You can watch the cell bursting open. In Russia, they develop bacteriophages. Bacteriophages are viruses that infect bacteria. And they use them instead of antibiotics. And then now there's a lot of research going, well, a lot of thought that maybe we ought to be using virus, bacteriophages, viruses, to treat infections rather than antibiotics. That's something that needs research. I mean, if you're trying to convince me that cars don't exist or wheels don't go around, I'm not going to go there, Brandon, because... Uh, but my worldview is such that I absolutely totally believe in that stuff. I I'm love sorry. it. And no, you're absolutely right. It, but this is the equivalent of one creating a wheel and not putting a hub on it, not putting a center point to where it could roll. Now, all you're being told is that's a wheel and it can roll. But in the lab, if they put a hub in it, yes, it does roll. But that is a skewed experiment. What if they deny you that hub? Therefore, you don't see the results that would obviously yield what you're looking for. What I mean is that the experiment is skewed from the beginning. It is set up to create results that they're expecting. Experiments, obviously, limit the conditions because that, that's how you do it. But look, I mean, I, you're not going to convince me viruses don't exist and the germ theory doesn't exist. But the, the idea of, or you call it... Um, terrain theory. I call it soil and seed. Yeah, okay. In yeah, order to have yeah. an outcome, you need the right soil with the right seed. So, I mean, if you've got a healthy immune system and if there's all sorts of, and you're feeling good and you've got, you know, all sorts of other stuff going on in your life, you're going to be well prepped up to, to, to prevent this. But I mean, in terms of the way I understand how life works, which is in the, the mechanistic view of life, um, you know, the, the stuff you can see, I mean, it all makes perfect sense. I mean, it hangs together so well um, I mean, when, when you've gone, gone, it all makes sense. It makes so much sense. It's not a matter of conspiracy. It was just, it's the best model of reality to explain what we see that we have. Now, I think it's a pretty good model. I don't think it's the only model. Where I, I wouldn't say it's the wrong model. I'd say it's, it's one model. There are other ways of modeling it, and they've, they've all got something to offer it. But I'm not going to junk a model that I think is, look, I mean, 
I, I I've got patients who remember uh, they used they would have thir- they, they, one of thirteen children because a lot of their brothers and sisters died of infection. I've, I still remember when I first went to medicine that people would regularly have massive heart attacks and very dense paralysis on one side because they had strokes. And in my lifetime, I've seen how medicine has progressed and that we don't see those sort of strokes anymore um, because we're better at controlling blood pressure and other factors. Um, We don't see so many massive heart attacks now because we can prevent them or we can stop them getting getting bad. That that's good. I mean, it's expensive and you could argue there are other ways of doing it, but that but it is effective if you're limiting yourself to that. At the same time, I've also seen massive amounts of type two diabetes go up because probably our, our crappy lifestyle and our crappy diets. So I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a gung-ho enthusiast for the Western lifestyle, but I wouldn't junk it away. I mean, if you suddenly got rid of all the stuff that we were, um, Western medicine and stuff, you'd have an awful lot of people, of dead people. Um, a lot of people in pain from their arthritic hips. I mean, you know, we have a rosy view of natural man, but if you actually look uh, at what the natural state is, you know, I think some anthropologists went into the rainforest um, and they were amazed that these guys still had their teeth. Yeah. Because all of them had lost their teeth. They were 40. And these guys had good dentition from, from the healthy dentistry. So, look, don't there's a view. There's a very, very good point you're making. But I mean, you have to accept the fact that that the science also makes a very good point. We need a synthesis of them. Uh, we need we need we need one to inform the other. But if you throw one out um, completely, uh, you're, you're going to be like um, one wheel on your wagon rather than two. I think you need both. And and I'm with you. Now I I've got to also be clear on this and just say we're I I just have an a knowledge of the ideas just because I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on here. So it is entirely possible though that are both are correct. And this is what's so fascinating to me about this reality without getting too metaphysical on it. No, let's get metaphysical. No, this is good. So you're, so we had this discussion before that, that we could, we could actually be living in separate reality. Now I love this sort of stuff. This is up for debate. I I, I often had this, I've had this thought in my mind that when I meet someone, how do, and I've had this for, for many years. How do I know that we're in the same universe? Yes, yes. These kinds I mean, of ideas. It, it might be that, that we may be able to agree on every point because you'll never know, obviously, because it has to be self-consistent. But it might be that something we haven't talked about, that in one of your ancestors, they came from a place where there were goblins and, and, and hobbits. And, and how do we know? I mean, how, and, and, and so, and the, the, although it sounds completely barking mad, that what, one way of looking at the universe is that there's no such thing as time and there's no such thing as space. What you've got is a mathematical space of all the possible arrangements of all the energy and molecules in the world. So imagine that every possible arrangement of, of atoms, say, exists out there. And then what our consciousness does is it navigates through these different, this phase space of different arrangements and we, so we navigate through. So we all navigate through a separate, slightly different universe, but where they overlap, because we, when, when we meet, the arrangements are the same. We have to agree on certain things. You've hit on um, it. I'm, I, no, you, you've hit on it. This is exactly it. This <laughs> is why this is the perfect conversation is because yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. A, I, this is the next thing that I wanted to say. So, yes, I do agree with this, that we are all living realities where contradictory points. I mean, we we see dichotomy all over the place, right? Hot, cold, dark light. These are baseline dichotomies that exist here for us to have a difference of opinion and different observations so that we can kind of, you know, 
have whatever kind of experience that we're here to have. Now, to to the point of terrain theory versus germ theory, Western medicine versus allopathic, allopathic, any of it. Uh, you've got placebos versus other things. Nocebos, okay? All of these things do exist, and all of them are repeatable for the most part, depending on the constitution of the individual viewing it, okay? So the, the old example is that two people are standing across from each other. There's a sixth painted on the floor to where both of them can see it from one perspective that's a six from the other perspective that's a nine nine. they are both correct this is what i find most interesting so basically your entire experience of life as it relates to medicine specifically on this you have to be convinced that this is the way that it works if you were to walk around and go like you said to the amazon their teeth are all better they breathe better they understand no 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 no, no, no. i wasn't saying that i'm saying that the anthropologist's teeth were better the, uh, the Amazonians were amazed that these people were older than them and still had their teeth. But there are definitely, there are tribes though, there are examples of tribes out there who have way healthier immune systems than we do. They can, oh, they yeah, can yeah. handle anything. They've never taken an aspirin in their life and they are way, or a vaccine, by the way, and they are way healthier than anybody. They live forever, you know, all of this good stuff based on their environment conditions and the mindset of understandings of that culture at the time. Our mindset at this time a vast majority, again, we're generalizing, is that you have to have Western medicine. You've got to get vaccines. You've got to do this stuff. You can't heal yourself on your own. There's a split, though, because there's a lot of people that say that's not accurate at all. So, And it's and they're 100% right. There's a lot of people also, this new thing came out about the Spanish flu. It's funny you mentioned that a minute ago, that it didn't start in Spain at all, that it started in the U.S. and it wasn't a flu. It was a bacteria. There is evidence that proves this and they can prove it. But then there's people that say the opposite of that. This is what I find so fascinating about this reality is that there are differences of opinion. You can have 100% proof that the globe is round. You can have 100% proof and convincing argument that the earth is flat. It's then just based on what resonates with you and what understanding works. But consent, I don't know. The other question is consensus reality. Yes. It's reality. Now, I, I just, we literally just, and this is just free flying ideas. So, um, so, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, but the idea that maybe um, you, uh, if you have enough people agreeing on a certain model, then it will come to fruition. But then, that, then, then the question is, is who are you, Brandon? Because if you then look at reincarnation, mm-hmm. and if you then take the point of view as I do, that time isn't exactly real. I agree. You may be a multi-headed, multi-dimensional being. Hell yeah. And then, what, so what is consensus reality? Is, is it Brandon here? Is there a different version of you that's got different ideas? So, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. So how does that work? Well, how does it, it work? It works because it's based on your perception, ideology, and what vibration you are focused down to. So, I mean, there's a lot of uh, people who have the perception that nobody else is here but you and God, right? There's only two Solic- things solipsism, here. Solipsism, yeah. But you solipsism. are God. Okay. This, this consensus reality is something I'm very interested in. Again, I'm glad you hit on it. What if if consensus reality is a real thing, which I completely agree it is, then it therefore can be influenced. And therefore, people who want to control this world know that about you, know that about people and humanity. And therefore, they could set up a consensus reality that you all that most people agree to. Again, with what's going on right now, with this jab, no jab, with the corona, no corona, with people getting sick, other people having no problems whatsoever. There, there's some arguments to be said that this has been an influenced attack on the psyche, and therefore that's what the real pandemic is. It's not a medical thing, technically. Uh, it's a psychological thing that we're all just kind of investing energy in and therefore creating it. 
But I don't know. But I mean, uh, talking about creating reality, you've heard of the, um, the Hawaiian system of Ho'opono Opono, I think it's pronounced. Uh, I believe so. so. Go over yeah, there's, 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 there's a book I was reading. Uh, this guy, there was a prison in, in, in the States. It had the, the, the most horrible uh, people in it. Um, it was a psychiatric prison. And um, this one of the orderlies there, he would sit there and he, he would just do nothing. Um, but wherever he was, suddenly after, within six months, they'd all got better. Um, they, they, every, uh, the atmosphere had got better. The, the inmates were getting better. And, and they, they realized that there was something this guy was doing. And what was he doing? He said, I was, I was, I was apologizing. So he says, what, what do you mean apologizing? He said, well, I was thinking about the situation, apologizing. For it. He said, why? It's not your fault. He said, of course it's my fault. He said, if it's in my reality, yes. I'm, I'm partly responsible for it. If I change myself and apologize for it, that will ripple out. So, this, um, this is where the nefarious understanding comes into play. If this is accurate, if things like this gentleman's answer, and I completely agree with it, Lynn McTaggart's work, again, to mention her because of the intention studies. What if this was the consensus reality? What if this was the way that life existed? There's no pharmaceutical companies telling you that this is your only option. What if we were lived in a coherent world to where the consensus consciousness is that there are natural ways to heal each other that we can actually do this in a group mental state now this would have to be cultivated from generations early this would have to be taught straight out the gate the same way that we ended up in the consensus reality we have now is by being told that this is the way things work when there are contradictions abound in this model where this is not the way things work this is not the only option but when you're told that that's what you expect therefore that's what's created and this is the part of this whole situation that's going on with whatever you feel about it that I feel that it's been engineered to be a psychological thing that then we then all create it's this co-collective creative type of environment you can influence somebody therefore that convinces themselves that their reality is this way now hmm. if you can do that on a scale of a society you run the world. You end up with this division type dichotomy because they understand that it is all of these things existing at the same place. It's just what you believe in, what resonates with you is what focuses with you. If you then tell people that they should be scared shitless and that everything's out to get them and that um, they're going to die if they don't blank and enough people start to believe that, they create it on this place. The concept of tulpas, the concept of thinking thought forms and then manifesting in reality. The thought of placebos making you better just simply because you have an understanding or you've been told that it would do so. I think the psychological factor on what's going on of, uh, on us as a society here is what's been hijacked. And that's the most interesting thing to me. If it is a six and a nine at the same exact time, somebody has figured out that you can just tell people that it's one or the other and they'll believe it. And that leaves then no opportunity for that to be discussed any further and that there's no option that it could be anything else. And this is where I think that we find ourselves now. In this state yeah, so of confusion, the important, the important thing is to keep your mind flexible and be open to to opportunity. Now, I, I mean, I don't buy everything you're saying, but I I can see what where you're coming at. I'm not sure. I come at it from a desire of understanding. I'm just trying to figure out what the hell's going on here. And from your perspective, I'm curious about what you think about well, everything think going on. I, well, what I what I think is, I mean, I've been I've been stuck in this pandemic, and it's uh, I, I I've been as but uh, yeah, I've seen colleagues die from it i've seen people get really ill from it. i have patients die from it i have i've had a woman who refused to have a vaccine um and she's actually she wouldn't have it she's actually now in her third week of covid and she's begging me to to, to make her better and i can't and i and i and you know we talk frankly she said she said i wish i had the vaccine so i mean i i don't know for you see for you 
it's theoretical. I mean, it's lovely to talk about this stuff, and I agree with. But 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 but, but when you because it's not. I mean, okay, living in a society, you know, having to make adjustments—that's not theoretical. But for me, this is so in my face. It's so raw. It's so real. When you see people, colleagues dying or patients dying that you've known, um, it is pretty frightening. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, I, it's not. People aren't dying from a state of mind. They, they're dying from something that's got them. I mean, I've had people who are absolutely adamant they were not going to get this. This is a load of rubbish. It's just they've been poleaxed by it. And then they're, they're, and, and they are the, they're the very next people who say, oh, wish I wish I hadn't listened to this. So I think you've got to be very careful, you know, with what with these thoughts are interesting thoughts. But I don't think in any way they should influence health policy. I really don't, because I think the pandemic is, is a real and present danger. And I think it's great. You know, it, I have a friend who's a, is a healer. And one thing he said to me, it's an insult to speak philosophy to a to a starving man. In other words, you feed the man first. It's already well saying, well, you know, we've got, we can grow through this, we've got to do it this way and the other, feed the man first and then you can talk philosophy. I think we're at the point now where you need to, you need to do, do something. And personally, I've, I'm very pro-vaccine and you will not sh sh shake me. I've, I've seen in, in the UK, uh, the this time last year, I mean, I get the positive swabs come through, you know, on my system. I can see how many swabs there are. This time last year, the COVID positive swabs my patients were dying or being in hospital. We were being, you know, ambulances were queuing up outside hospitals. Now I'm still getting positive swabs, but they're just not, you're finding out, oh, I'm not that ill actually. Do you have the vaccine? You have the vaccine. Okay, fine. And the people who haven't had the vaccine, they're the ones who are dead ill. And we haven't got the number of people in the hospital. So, I see that as a triumph, Brandon. I'm sorry. You won't convince me otherwise. No, and and we're just talking about the ideas here. I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. But what I will say is uh, I do want to talk about the vax with you real quick. Again, we should do 20 episodes on this. So okay, yeah. let, let's talk about... Um, I agree with you that you've got to feed the man before uh, you can talk philosophy. But then the question becomes is what do you tell him is nutrition? Do you tell him what's good for him and offer him a McDonald's burger or a Burger King burger? And therefore, again, coercion. <laughs> you've gotten two yeah. shitty options. You get to pick, but you get to pick between two shitty things. Or do you let him make up his mind and you give him an apple versus a burger? What, what do you think? You know, but there's going to be preference. You know, people are going to pick the burger and that's fine. And people are going to pick the apple and that's fine too. Then we can talk about the philosophies, but I do think that there's an element of societal consciousness that has been hijacked here. And I know this, or what leads me to this idea is simply because on the news, all you hear, again, we're, we've got to, all of this is predicated under the framework that people in a society can be influenced by information that they're given independent of any research that they do. Okay. So with that understanding, the news kept telling everyone social distance mask, um, don't go outside, don't be around anybody else. And, uh, then eventually get your vaccine. Okay. Those were the options that your medical care professionals were telling you to do when in reality, what would actually benefit everybody and get us back to whatever the hell is over this thing is exercise, eight hours of sleep, sunlight, eating right, yeah. socially connecting to people, digging your hands in the dirt, which is where microbiome is found. When people walk around and sanitize the piss out of their hands, they're knocking all of that good bacteria off of them, which is fuel for our immune system. Stress, 
these create cytokine storms. So when you lock people up, when you threaten their jobs, when you threaten their social, this is where I think you're seeing most of the sickness. You're seeing a breakdown yeah. in the human no, no, these are, these are These are valid points. I mean, um, we didn't have such draconian lockdown in the UK. I mean, when the first lockdown, I was out walking the, f I mean, I live in London, but it's on the edge of it. I was out walking the fields. It was hot. It was sunny. It was lovely. The air was pure. There were no, no traffic. It was, it was quite, quite pleasant. Um, but of course, if you live in a in a block of uh, apartments and you've got no, which is already a more stressful environment, yeah, so see, already so you're, yeah. you're geared toward that constitution, right? It's got to do with your yeah, constitution. I mean, I mean, remember when when no when this virus hit, no one knew exactly how it was going to behave. Um, I mean, we now know this errors that that it, I mean, the, the current prevailing view is is it's in the air. And, and that you need to change it. I mean, I've always been a great believer in ventilation. In my, in my, in my, uh, my, my office, I've always, when I had designed my office, I had two windows at right angles to each other. Um, uh, and I said, to maintain airflow. My, my, my colleagues thought I was bonkers, but I've always had a feel that you need to, I don't want air conditioning on, I want airflow. This is, you and I are similar in this way too. I have to have fans and stuff on. I'm the same, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, so I've always felt that. Um, but, you know, when it hit, no one knew what the hell it was. I mean, we knew it, what, it was a virus, but no one knew how it would behave. No one knew how lethal it was. No, I mean, I actually saw the science developing. Um, you know, you, and reading it all, people were confused. I mean, it was very similar to the uh, HIV epidemic in the 1980s when HIV appeared. No one knew what the hell it was. There were all sorts of things, but, but then it was very slow. I mean, it, it, because this, this, the, the technology wasn't there, it took years to work out what it was. You know, is it a virus? Is it this? Is it? No one knew. Um, what I think is interesting is, is with, our, with our modern technology, which I really think was, was good, within a few hours, they'd isolated the, um, the genetic sequence of the virus. And, and, you know, the mRNA vaccine, they could produce it instantly. I mean, the, the technology was there. People think it's new technology. Actually, it's been around for 10 years being used in animals. It, it has, and the animal studies have not been good. That's why they haven't released many of them. The ferrets that died because they had no immunity after exposed to, and the ferret, of course, they use in these studies because they have the closest respiratory system to the human being. So whenever they use these, the animal studies didn't come out for that reason, because they murdered all of the, it was a, right. a flop. Now, if a vaccine comes out and kills 15 people, they pull it from the market immediately. This thing has killed more people in the last seven months than in the last 15 years of every single vaccine ever created. This is well, not a vaccine. That. It's a gene sequencing tool from my understanding. Now, if, if you tell people that this is the only way that you can do it and you don't tell them this, this is where the distrust comes because number one, I think that I'm a very conspiratorial minded person. I don't trust anything that the media tells me anyway. I don't think that the government has your best interest in your health. That's a good, that's heart. a good, that's a good default position. Well, and the reason that you know this is because again, they're giving you these options over here, which are very stay away from people, be scared, stay in your home. Don't get any bacteria on you, sanitize everything. So therefore your immunity will go to shit. They're not telling you the things that you should actually want to hear and things that will actually make people better again sunlight exercise they don't mention any of that shit yeah i mean that, that, um, but that's not entirely true i mean the, like the vitamin d i mean it became pretty clear early on that we need to get our vitamin d levels up it wasn't it wasn't pushed as much as other things were but within the medical profession um we've you know a lot of dogs i know have been saying it to me i have been um, you up your vitamin D levels. That came out. There's a guy called Dr. John Campbell, who's a, a medical educator. He was pushing that early on. Um, the other stuff, the, um, 
uh, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, all this controversy. I mean, they're, they're, people are looking at them and people are frustrated because it's not so, it's because they want it now. But, you know, I mean, you, you, it's, it's, you, you need to, when you're starting mass medicating, you have to be fairly sure. I'm fairly sure, I mean, with, when it comes to the vaccine, people think it's been rushed. It hasn't been rushed. No. The thing is, it, it, I, I don't think it's been rushed at all. No, What's I agree. They, it's been around for a they've long thrown, time. They've thrown so much money at it. That they that, that, that the phases that are normally slow because of lack of money, they've just thrown money at it. And I think it indicates that actually if we threw more money at health impacts rather than building weapons, we can make great strides. I mean, I actually we're gonna differ because I think the mRNA technology is gonna be very useful um, in terms of medicine, that there's all sorts of therapeutic benefits for it from treating cancers and all sorts of other things. And, and what I say to my patients, well, I don't like this. I say, well, how do you want to get your spike protein? Do you want it the natural way or do you want it an artificial way that's controlled? Do you just want the pure spike protein or do you want the whole virus? I'd rather have the, the, just the spike protein because the virus does the same thing. It gets into your system. It hijacks your cells. It starts. It makes mRNA and starts churning out spike protein. You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's natural, Brandon, and that's not good. You die as a result. It's not natural if they wrap it in this uh, coating of nanoparticles, the nanolipid particles, to slip it past your immune system. You've got to trick your body into taking this thing. And once you get it, you can never get it out. And it snaps your RNA, is what I've heard. Therefore, you'd become not human anymore on a very basic, on the most atomic level. Of course, you're still human. What, what uh, this? Go ahead. The mRNA doesn't incorporate into your genome. Right. It doesn't. It, does, it goes. It goes. It just goes after a while. It just mRNA is the is the messenger chemical that so your your, your DNA makes RNA, um, which then th this RNA then makes the protein. So you're giving the, the sequence to make the protein, but you're not altering. It's not altering your genetic structure at all. And the cells you're giving it into, in theory, express the protein and then they they, they lose it. Now, there's some controversy as to if you inject it into the muscle cells, um, is it then possibly going to the heart cells, you know, all sorts of things. But, you know, they've given billions of doses of this yet. You haven't seen mass die-offs of people. In fact, it's saved lives. So, look, the big experiment's been done now, and I'm part of it. Um, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I think we're all things, part things of can it. Go, things can go wrong, absolutely. But, I mean, yeah, you, you're... you're it, it, it's a case of what do you do if you really believe, as I believe, that you've got a, a, a that you've got a virus that's absolutely killing people, and I can see it before my eyes. You've got a risk versus benefits. I mean, you know, there may be some side effects, and some people may die from it, but less people from the vaccine than the virus. And I strong, I really believe that, absolutely believe it, um, wholeheartedly. And and I believe that that is your experience, which is what you're basing this on, because you're a highly intelligent man. I'm not telling you that you're stupid, or I'm not telling you anybody that believes in this in a different way than is something that resonates with me or a, a lot of people actually, um, th that they're dumb or that they're misinformed or any of that kind of stuff, because you create your reality. Back to the placebo thing. You can be told something, of course, then that's going to lead you to those conclusions. We could be told that um, this is the way things work and therefore you can be convinced of that, but you can do that on either side, which is fascinating to me. The human psyche, this uh, consciousness connection that you talk about, th this idea of things being so juxtaposed, but being so validating and so okay, real Brandon, Brandon. And repeatable so if i That's were to hypnotize you let, let's say if i were to hypnotize you and say look brandon no such things as cars they don't exist and i could do that but i say brandon 
highway over there. Go and walk out there. You're not going to be run over. No, this is a good what point. Think, what, what do you think is going to happen? No, this is a great point because there the are universe splits. Realities. There's one brand that gets right. run over in my universe, and then, and then cars don't <laughs> exist. No, this is a great example because the, the, this is what's so interesting about the idea. You can see this in a lot of ways, but you can also see the counter to it, which is a wonderful argument you just made. Because clearly, there there are a set of standards here that we all kind of agree with, but there are some microcosms that can't necessarily be viewed in this way. And again, the the reason is, is because of that double slit experiment in um, uh, quantum physics. This is what screwed me all up with yeah, this Yeah, I mean, they, 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 there's, a, there's a scientific argument that says you never die. Yes. And the idea is, is that, is that when, when the point you die, your consciousness goes into it. Now, this has actually been a scientific argument that actually you then go into a universe where that never happened. Uh, so yes. the, the, or if one you die of us, when you see Brandon off. get hit by the car, but Brandon himself doesn't get hit by the car because the car veers. And they, and, <laughs> you know what's interesting so, about this point, though? In this yeah. reality, I did die, yeah. which proved your point yeah. that cars but do But in Brandon's exist. reality, it doesn't but in my reality, it didn't because yeah. Yeah. I shifted to another reality. Yeah. Hang on. Can we have a disclaimer? Don't try. Oh, have I, have I frozen? Don't I, try this you know, at home. Folks. You are frozen, but don't worry about it. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that we need to tell this audience that. I, I've got a lot of practical minded people, uh, but also with their heads in the cloud. So we've got a yeah. wonderful <laughs> listening audience that uh, you don't have to, they're not a bunch of dummies, but I, I like the point. I like the disclaimer. So uh, listen, this one's already ran long as hell again. Uh, I, I could talk to you about everything all the time because I think that we're just scratching the surface on these kind of ideas. And again, uh, you know, my understanding of what's going on is nothing. I, I only see what's going on around me. I'm more of an observer. And so whenever I see people in depth, entrenched in this ideology and see the results, see, yeah, 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 if you do this, that'll work. Cause and effect based on an ideology. But you can also see cause and effect, real implications based on a totally other ideology. And they're at odds with each other. I just think that it's another set of conditions in this dichotomy type of reality, you know, uh, that's here. And it's just one that we're starting to figure out, or I'm just starting to kind of take notice of that. It goes beyond just sun and moon, dark and light, hot and cold. It goes to your actual experience where our realities overlap. And I, I'm just finding this fascinating, man. I'm just trying to work out why the hell I've frozen here, but I got <laughs> Uh, it's okay. You know, <clears throat> it's okay. It's actually probably the universe saying, all right, guys, you've, you've had enough here. Uh, let people marinate on what you guys have talked about, and then we will um, talk to you again soon. So, Dr. Ian Rubenstein, I can't thank you enough, man. This has been amazing. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the exchange. I mean, it's great. It's great fun. Um, haven't had th this much fun since I was a student. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's just, and again, scratching the surface, you are welcome on any time. I've got actually some panels and stuff that I'm going to be working on here soon. And I'd love to consider you as part of that. If you want me to put your name in that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is good. I, I mean, I've been listening to your podcast now. You've got some great guests, uh, some really interesting people. It's all the have guests. You had Rand, have you had Randall Carlson on ever? Uh, uh, not, not yet, but he is definitely on my list of people I would love to talk to him. Um, I mean, uh, there, there's just so many wonderful people. Dr. Robert Schock, of course, I'd love to have him on. I just had Larry Paul on and we were talking about the pyramids, which I'm fascinated by. And again, yeah, all these different too. ideas that kind of, you know, uh, different evidence. Egyptologists say that the Sphinx is built right along with the pyramids. Robert Schock and weather erosion, actual physical evidence says that they were built thousands of years before them. So again, it's it's all of it. And it, it infiltrates everything. It infiltrates the way that you see color, the way that our history is, you know, perceived by you, the way the physics is perceived by you. Um, mm. 
I, I love it. I think that this place is, the more you shine light on something, it, 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 it creates a million more questions and a million more mysteries. And that's what's so beautiful is I don't think I'm figuring things out. I'm figuring out that um, there's way more here than you could ever figure out. Okay, Brandon. Well, mate, look, stay in touch, my friend. It's been really interesting speaking with you. It's great having your ideas challenged and uh, then, then sort of kicking them backwards and forwards because you're certainly of my mind to new ways of thinking. Um, no doubt about that. Um, you've and already, you me. already got, got me thinking along some new ideas, actually. And you to uh, me. I mean, th- this is what's beautiful about this type of communication is we could just discuss the ideas, man. And it's ultimately what works for you is what works for you. Yeah. Okay. All I right, love then. it. I'm grateful that we've connected, my friend. We will do this again. Uh, Dr. Okay. Ian Rubenstein, thank you so much again, my friend. Okay. Take care. Bye, Brandon. Well, uh, that was part two of Dr. Ian Rubenstein. I could have a million episodes with that guy and probably never get to the bottom of everything. And I think that's kind of the point. And it's something that I was telling my wife after recording this episode is that um, it got me fired up in, the w- in a great way, in a way that just... You know, as you research these types of things and you go down more esoteric rabbit holes, you find that uh, a lot of this reality is just simply what you make it. And if that's the understanding, then people that know that could have hijacked this understanding and taken away, taken it away from us, right? Uh, so th- this idea, though, um, that perception is reality, that the six is the nine, that they're the same thing and both have a very valid reason for existing, th- this type of uh, concept is something that fascinates me. Dr. Ian Rubenstein was perfect in articulating his point of view on this. Uh, I think we both challenged uh, kind of the way that we look at and interact with the world around us, which is the point of this whole damn show, guys. This is why you come here is to discuss the ideas and to find out a little bit more about your world. But again, to the point that the more you find out about this place, the more mysteries there are. Uh, You open one door, that leads to two. Two leads to four. Four leads to eight. It's it's a never-ending quest for what is true. And if that's the case, uh, then I'm enjoying the hell out of the ride. I mean, it gets more and more mysterious. The plot thickens literally as you move forward into these types of concepts and understandings, uh, which lead you to more understandings and more concepts. So it's it's this fascinating spiral. I mean, I get the ignorance is bliss thing where people can just sit there and say, I don't want to mess with any of this. I, I can empathize with that understanding. I just don't resonate at that frequency again, which is why you guys are here. So uh, longest outro ever. Uh, guys, please uh, check out the show notes for expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is where links to all the socials can be found. This dope music that you're hearing is my buddy Vinny the Saint. His link is down there as well. Go check out his music, guys. He does some incredible work. So uh, go out into this mysterious place we call our reality this week, guys. And uh, pick up a piece of litter, of course. Be nice to everybody that you come across. Um, Buy a coffee or a meal or something like that. Hold some doors open. I mean, it's not hard to change the world around you. This is the garden in which you can tend. Uh, Get out of the left-hand lane, of course. And go out into this world, guys. Uh, Explore these mysteries. Have these kind of conversations. And above and beyond anything else from all of this y'all just go out there and just be good to one another we need that understanding now more than ever be good to one another thank y'all so much for listening we'll see you next time